Well, good morning, church family. How are we doing this morning? Are we doing? Are we doing okay this morning? Are you glad to be here this morning at all? I am glad to be here. Anybody else glad to be here at all? Can you just, uh, you just go, woo, you know? There you go, woo. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, it truly uh, is exciting to come in and gather with believers. And I believe that God has a word for you today. And I want you to know that because anytime that I come, I hope you know that uh, I don't think you should attend this church just to come and hear me. Because if you just come to hear me, you're not going to get a lot of uh, insight, wisdom. You'll probably hear a lot of confusion uh, if you just listen to me. The, the real hope is, is that somehow God uses me and communicates something through me to you in such a way that it transforms your life. Did you know that's why you gather in this kind of setting, in an environment, because God has a word for you? And even if you're a person who says, well, I'm even, I don't even know God maybe, or maybe I'm like just beginning to know God, did you know that God can also speak through me to you? And so I pray that that's exactly what would occur. And I want to encourage you to know that that's why you've come, because I believe that God actually has a word to give you today. Amen? And um, when we say amen, that just means we agree and then we say, let it be so. That's another way of saying it. Let it be so. Let God's will be done. We agree that this is something good for us, that God wants to communicate something to us, regardless of our age, regardless of our background. God has a word to speak into our hearts. Amen? Does that excite you to know that the God, the creator of this universe, is going to say something to you today? Did you, are you ready to hear what God has to say today? And so, you know, it's just like in your hearts, it's like, God, I'm ready to receive from you. So... As Nancy just prayed, we pray that, that our, our hearts would be open to receive whatever God wants to do in this place. I titled the message today, Parent from His Presence. We're in this parenting series, and if you're not a parent, um, then don't just jump out. I want you to jump into this because just take out the word parent, and then you could say lead from His presence if you want. You know, you could say be a friend from his presence. You could put whatever word you want to put in there, and it's still going to apply to you. But since we're in the context of a parenting series, we're going to put the word parent for now. So I want you to parent from his presence. Here's what's true for most parents, and this is what's true for me. It's probably true for you that most of our parenting happens towards the evening time, right? It happens while we work or after we work is when most of our parenting happens, for most of us, if, if you're like it, you get up in the morning, you have some morning routine, uh, you get the kids out of bed, get them ready for school, whatever that may look like, depending on the age. Or maybe you've already been in this season before, at least you're going to go, I totally get that, I see that, I understand that. And so you parent after you work, typically, right? Come home from work, that's when you have that block of time between four and eight or four and nine or whatever that time frame may be. But most of our parenting I found happens after we work. And for single parents or stay-at-home parents or something like that, sometimes if you work from home, it's happening while you work. If you have kids that aren't in school, it's happening while you work, homeschool, while you work, which is more challenging. Uh, it's not easier, I have found, I don't think at all, to. We, some of us found this out uh, during 2020, that it's, it's hard to watch kids while you work. And so even if a, a mom is a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, you know, maybe even if you've got a stay-at-home parent, um, and, and they're having to get things done. There's still errands to be done. There's house cleaning and all that stuff that goes on. And so they're trying to parent while they work. 
Can we agree on this, church? Is this fair to say that most of your parenting happens before or after school? Is that another way of saying it? I mean, that's when most of our parenting happens. Well, the problem with that is, is, is this, is that our approach to parenting often overflows from what's happening in us personally. In other words, the, the problem with what I just told you is that because the, the, the parenting happens after you work, there tends to really become an overflow of whatever's happened to you on the day of work. I'll illustrate it to you this way. I just took uh, a, a cup. I've got some water just to help illustrate it so that you understand it. Um, let's say you wake up uh, and, and you woke up perfectly on time. You ever do that? You wake up on time. This is a great day. This is a great moment. Uh, you, you feel pretty good. The coffee is good. It's not bad coffee. There was a really good coffee on BOGO, so you're like, this is going to be a good week. And, uh, and so the day gets started well. Kids are ready to go. They got good attitudes, whatever that might be. And then they go out the door. They go to school, and things are looking good. And then somewhere in the midst of getting ready, does this happen to you? You look at the clock, and you're running behind. And you're like, what? What happened? I thought everything was fine. And then... Then for some reason, you know, you start running behind and you get a little frantic. Does that happen? And so all of a sudden, you woke up pretty rested, but now you got a little stress in your life because you're on your way to work. And, and then you leave just a few minutes uh, late, but you feel like, I can make it up. I'm going to hit the green lights. Anybody ever prayed for green lights on the way to work and, or way where, an appointment or something? You know, or you got, I got a really good deal. Maybe you're in sales and you're like, oh, we're, we're going to have a really good deal. This is going to be a good opportunity today. Today I'm meeting with the boss. Today I'm presenting something, you know. And then somewhere along the way to work or some way along the way to the appointment, you don't hit green lights. It's like everyone in front of you is driving 20 miles an hour. Everyone else is relaxed and you're the only one in a hurry. Has that ever happened to you? And then... Man, just a little more stress, a little more frustration builds, you know, kind of is not going as good as you thought it was going to go. And now all of a sudden, your foot's down on the pedal a little more. You're going a little faster. You got your Brave Church sticker on the wave. Now you're regretting having the Brave Church sticker on the back of your window. And you're like, oh, everybody's going to know. And then so no one's coming now. And so, but you just start to go. And then you go faster, hoping they can't see the sticker. Like, I've done that before. It's like, just, whew, so you didn't get a chance to see it, you know? Uh, so... You're on your way to work, or you get to work, you get to that appointment, or, or whatever that may look like, you know, in, in your system or your, your place. Or maybe you turn on your computer, you work from home, and, and then all of a sudden it's not working properly, or things aren't loading properly, and you got a, a, you know, an IT kind of issue going on, and all of a sudden the stress begins to build. Has anyone ever been there? Does anybody relate to this at all? Amen? Yeah, you've been there? You understand that? All right, I'm going to try to open this bottle of water. So we do that, and then you show up to work. Things are going decent. You finally get in, okay, oh, settled in, no one caught me. And then the boss cancels the meeting that you had prepared all night for. Or, or the person doesn't show up to the house that you had an appointment at if you're in real estate. You know, or maybe you know, something like that happens. Or maybe just somebody ticks you off, says the wrong thing in a meeting. Somebody doesn't show up on the Zoom call. You know, the Zoom call gets canceled. Zoom call goes longer. The Zoom call is very boring, you know, and you're like, why am I listening to this? And then you turn off the video and you're not even in the room. Come on. And you're just like so fed up with the job that you have. And you're just irritated and annoyed. You don't like the person talking. Anybody ever been there before? Raise your hand high just so everybody can see how many. Could. You are not alone in this church. This is so good. All right. So 
But then, you know, something happens at the job, you know, it just doesn't go well, and you just get frustrated. You've been frustrated at work, and man, just the stress starts piling up on you. You find out you didn't get the promotion. You find out you didn't get the bonus check. You find out you thought the finances were coming in, and now you're just irritated and frustrated. Then you leave work late, and you're supposed to be at home because your wife's going to get mad at you. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, something like that. Does that make sense? And so now what happens is, what happened to you personally on that day begins to overflow into everything else. And so what happens is our approach to parenting, the problem is it overflows from what's happening in us per- personally. And so now because we had this day at work, it's like, stop it, be quiet, you know, and it's like all because of what happened to you in the day. Anybody ever felt this way before? And so the kids are like, Dad, what? I thought we were good this morning when I left. What happened, you know? I thought we were on the same page. And it overflows. I don't know about you, but this is true for me. The worst decisions that we make as parents and that I have often made often occur when we parent from stress rather than rest. And because of the work that had times that we parent, we parent from this place because of all the stress of the day and the things didn't go the way we thought. And then all of a sudden we're parenting from that place of stress than we are from rest. And this is where it gets really problematic Because I don't know if you know this, but you're not raising just physical beings. You're actually raising people who have souls. And the reality is the health of your soul eventually overflows into the souls that you're leading. Did you know that you're actually raising souls? Now, some people who would say, you know, we have a trichotomy. We have three. We're soul. We're spirit. We're body. Or we're flesh. Some would say, no, it's just two. Wherever you you fall in that, I just want you to understand that you are a soul before you're a body. I've said this to you before, that you're not a body that has a soul. You're actually a soul that actually has a body. We know throughout Scripture it states that the soul goes on, the body fades away. One of the greatest uh, kind of lessons or teachings of this that I ever got from, and when I was in Bible college, one of my professors made this statement about how to know if you're a person that has a soul versus you're just physical beings and that's all you are. And he made this statement, and it it feels a little harsh, and it is. But he says, I want you to imagine somebody who's been through something traumatic, maybe even, you know, sexually traumatic, you know, maybe a rape victim or something like that, you know. He says, just imagine, does, does the pain stop the moment the physical pain stops? Yes or no? Who would say such a thing? No. So if the pain then remains... Where's the pain at if we're only physical beings? See, you're not just a physical being. You're a soul. You have a soul. Some might say a soul or a spirit, but you have a soul. And that soul gets damaged, and that soul is inflicted with pain. Even though the physical body has subsided of pain. Can I just remind you today that you are raising souls? And these souls go on for eternity. And every time you speak, everything you say and everything you do does something to that soul. So the question then becomes, how do we parent from a healthy soul? Because throughout our day, through the illustration I just showed you, our soul is taking hits. And then we parent from that place. So how do we parent? How do we lead? How do we guide? How do we be 
friends? How do we be a spouse from a healthy soul? If we're actually leading souls, then it becomes really important to have a healthy soul because you can't have an unhealthy soul and then lead healthy souls because it ultimately just overflows. So how do we do this? I think there's an answer. We find it from a guy who's a worship leader in a church. His name is Asaph. In Psalm 73, this guy writes this entry. It's actually a song. And in this song and in this lyric, he expresses his soul. How many of you know that artists will write from their soul or things that are going on inside of them? So this guy writes this song, this lyric, and they would sing this in the church a few thousand years ago. And here's the lyric, here's the song, and we're going to tap into this a little bit and unpack this about what happens in this guy. And we're going to watch his soul be transformed. And then we're going to try to figure out how did he, how did, what changed in him? What did he do in order to have that soul change? How did he go from an unhealthy soul? How did he get to a healthy soul? And then hopefully we could take the same principle and adopt it into our lives and then lead with healthy souls. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, church? When you're quiet, it says, no, I don't get that. Do I need to repeat everything I just did? Okay. All right, here we go. Psalm 73, all right? This is Asaph. This is the lyric. And look how he starts. He says, truly God is good to Israel. So we're not talking about a man who's agnostic, atheist. We're talking about a guy who believes in God and is convinced that God is actually good. In fact, he says it right out of the gate. God is good, I know. He says, to those whose hearts are pure, And then he reflects on himself. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. In other words, I had a really bad day. This is not a good day. Things are not going good. For I envied the proud. I envied the guy who got the promotion and I didn't. I envied the scenario that I was in. I envied something else. So I've got envy inside of me. The proud, when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Come on, ladies, you ever done that? I mean, why does she still got four kids and she's still, you know, whatever? You know, it says, man, they don't have any trouble at all. Come on, somebody's Instagram post. They don't have any problems in their marriage. I mean, what's the problem? They don't even love Jesus. And I'm going to church and I'm trying. And they got all the fun. They're taking cruises and they're doing this. They're going there. But they don't have troubles like other people, he says. They're not plagued with problems. Where is this guy at? He says, they're not playing with problems like everyone else. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease with their riches. And it goes on to say, and this multiply, and it goes on to say, go to the next. It says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Come on, somebody. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task that is. This man is at a place where he is looking at all these situations in his life and his soul obviously would not say he's in a good, healthy spot. Can we agree on that? Something's wrong with the soul and he's looking at other people and everybody else's life is perfect and he's the only one that's suffering. God, where are you? What is your problem? Why aren't you here? Just all these kinds of thoughts are flooding through his mind and we see that happen. I want to make this statement, though. It's very important to make this statement before we go to the next verse. And here's the statement I want you to understand. While we never lose the reality of God's presence, we might lose the sense of his presence. 
What you see Asaph do here is lose the sense of God's presence. He doesn't actually leave God's presence because God is omnipresent. So we don't have to ask for God's presence because God is present. And he said that God is good to Israel. So he's aware that this God is this God who's everywhere, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. What has he lost? He's lost the sense of God's presence in his life. So we don't have to ask God, God, can, can, can you come into the presence as if God is not present? Because he's always present. It's just more of the awareness of his presence. And this is where he is. There's, he's lost sense of God's presence. And then something changes for Asaph. In fact, I'll say everything changes when he does what he does next. And he'll write about it. And here's what he says. He says, then I went into your sanctuary. Oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. You take the word sanctuary You've heard of that probably in church terms at times. That's a sanctuary. Maybe you heard it in a song. In the sanctuary. It's okay. It's a gospel song. Obviously, we don't do a lot of gospel here. So in the, in the sanctuary, we used to play that song. So he talks about the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is a Hebrew word that means a sacred place. It's not just a church setting. It's a tabernacle in some cases. But this is a sacred place. I want you to hear it like this. Asaph is writing, then I went into a sacred place. I went into a holy place. I went into a place that was immersed in your presence. Then I got in your presence. Another way of saying it would be, then I came in tune with your presence. Then I began to sense your presence. Then I got into the sacred place. Is that like a physical place? I don't think so. It doesn't seem to be the case that it's like this one place. Because if it was an actual place, and this place is like a thousand plus years old, then we can't go to that place anymore, then we can't have what he had anymore. I think he's speaking to something dinner, deeper. I went to this place. Somewhere in his soul, he went to this place. He got in connection with God. It got into the presence of God, made more aware of this presence, a sense of his presence. If you take your notes, I want you to write this down. His presence, this is God's presence, his presence changes our perspective. Did you notice the shift in the previous verse? He goes into the sanctuary and then he realizes the truth of the destiny of the wicked. And all of a sudden, he had a change in perspective in how he saw things. His sight, the way he begins to see changes all because of a moment in his presence. And it changes something in him. Then he goes on to say and further right next. Then I realized in the presence, right, in the sanctuary, that my heart was bitter. How many of you know when you get in the presence of God, he exposes some things about you? If you didn't raise your hand, you don't know that, you're about to find out. All right, let's keep moving. And I was all torn up inside. How many of you know when you're in God's presence, God deals with your heart? God can see and expose the innermost things going on inside of you, and that's what he's after. I was so foolish and ignorant, he confesses. 
In other words, I was seeing things the wrong way, but God showed me the right way to see them. I must have seemed like a senseless animal. Wow, that gives me hope. Does that give hope to anybody in your, in your life as a Christian? I must have looked like an idiot to you, God. I know, I know. You, gosh, your grace is so good. Yet I still belong to you, even though I know I should have figured this out a long time ago. You hold my right hand. It's either strength in you, he says. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to the glorious destiny. Whom I have in heaven but you, I desire you more than anything on earth. I've got so fixated on what other people have. Look at their riches. Look at their fame. Look what they've got going on. Oh, how they travel. Oh, they're, do- oh, they're so doing this. And oh, all the highlight reels and all this stuff. Oh, and all of a sudden, I got in your presence and perspective changed. And I realized none of that matters. You matter. And nothing is more important than you. And all of that happened where? In his presence. In that sacred place. And then we see this. We understand this. Number two, write this down if you're taking notes, all right? His soul changes. His presence changes our soul. Here's the next verse. I'll show it to you. All right, continues on. It says, my health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Strength is the word rock. I want you to see that. That is, it's, God remains the rock of my soul. The word heart means inner man, the mind, the will, and the emotions, the soul of the person. And you become the rock of my soul. Nothing else matters. You get in God's presence that changes your soul. It'll change your heart. It'll change your mind. And you know what else his presence does? It'll change your will. And now what Jesus said in Matthew 6 when he taught his disciples how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Isn't that what God's presence done? It changes your will. It changes your dreams. It changes your hopes. It changes your desires. When you get in God's presence, it'll change your soul. It changes your perspective and it changes your soul. It goes on to say in verse 27, he says, those who desert him will perish for you destroy those who abandon you. I love this. Remember when Asaph started, he started saying, these people are prospering. Where are you, God? I've done all this, and yet I'm not prospering at all. Why am I still stuck where I'm stuck, and I'm the one trying to serve, and I'm the one giving? But why are all those people, they're so much better off than me. Then he gets in God's presence, and all of a sudden, truth is revealed. Write this down. Understand this. When he goes through that, his presence changes, and this is the key word, our truth our truth. It changes our truth, what was true to us. For what was true to him was everyone else was prospering, but that was a lie. Then he gets in God's presence and he's like, you know what? That's not what's true at all. Here's what's really true. Those who have nothing to do with you, you abandon, you leave, and they will not benefit from this relationship they could have with you. In fact, they're headed to a distant place far from you. And all of a sudden, the wicked people that he once thought were prospering were actually not prospering. In fact, the truth is, everything they were gaining was fading away. Are you listening to me on this? And his soul changes. His perspective had changed. Man, it's 
His truth had changed. What had seemed so true to him in a moment changes once he gets into a sacred place. It must be pretty important then to get into this sacred place. How do you get into that sacred place? What is it that? He continues on, he says, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. He's discovered something. In this sacred place, the sanctuary, wherever it was, physically or just internally, it says, I've discovered something. In that place, where was he? Somewhere near God. Now, God's omnipresent. He's all the way around. So it's not that God ever left. It's just he becomes more aware of his presence. I got near him. I got intimate with him. And everything began to change in me. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that he does. Man. I'm going to tell everything. I'm going to go and tell. 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 Can I just tell you, whenever you get in God's presence, the first thing you want to do is go and tell. how you know when you're in his presence. It's one of the signs. It's one of the great signs that you've been in his presence is that the first thing you want to do is go and tell. You see it in the woman at the well, and I could preach on that in a whole nother topic in this very moment, and I believe God's giving me a word for our church at some point. I'll preach deeper on this, but I just want you to know that one of the manifestations of God's presence is going and telling. And if you're not going and telling, you might want to reevaluate whether or not you're living in his presence and awareness of his presence. Because when you experience this goodness, all you want to do is go and share that goodness. It overflows. His presence changes us and goes with us. And we see that to be true in Asaph. We see that to be true in the musician and the lyricist who wrote this Psalm, Psalm 73 who wrote 12 songs, by the way. You could go read about them in the book of Psalms. Psalms 73 through 83. And you could read all about him and see how God had changed and worked in his life and he would express it in his lyrics as he wrote it down and saying to the church was part of his job in the reign of King David. It changes us. And then it goes with us and he carries it out. I wonder what would happen if we parented from that place. What would be different in our lives as parents if we parented from that place? An overflow of a personal intimacy moment with the Lord. I wonder how it would look or affect us differently. The good news is I've come to give you the answer. And it's not my wisdom. It's actually a guy named Paul who wrote it down. He says, this is the kind of parenting. This is the kind of leading. This is the kind of friendship. This is the kind of person you'll be in your life, employee, and all kinds of things. When you immerse yourself in God's presence, this is what's going to overflow in your life. And you just decide whether or not this is the kind of person you want to be. And he puts them as what he calls the fruits of the Spirit. And in Galatians, to a church in Galatia, here's what he writes. This is what happens from the presence of God. and overflows from the presence of God. 
when the presence of God called his Holy Spirit reigns inside of you and lives through you, this is what overflows. Ready? He says all kinds of cool stuff. He says love. Talked about that in part one. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, come on parents, and self-control. This is the kind of parents you become when God's life begins to flow through you, when his presence flows through you. How many of you would say, I, I, I love to be a little better in self-control as a parent? Okay, now I want to see the opposite. I want to see the real people. How many of you say, I want a parent out of control? I'm just, I'm, I'm just ready to stop trying to have self-control. I want a parent out of control. Okay, so then we have some confused people because not everybody raised their hand on the first time. How many want a parent from self-control? You could use a little more self-control as a parent. He says, well then, get in my presence. Because when you get in my presence, you adopt my spirit. When you become aware of my spirit, my spirit flows through you and all of a sudden operates with a little more self-control, a little more gentleness, a little more kindness, a little more joy. How many of you haven't laughed so long your cheeks hurt when you smile? Anybody ever been there before? Like, whoa, that hurt. I pulled on the, pulled something. You might have a presence problem. Did you hear me? It's a presence problem. Because according to Paul, he says, when you get into God's presence, man, joy overflows. And joy isn't always just, joy, understand, is regardless of the circumstances around you, God is good. God is still good. Regardless of what's happening to me, regardless of what traffic, what green lights, what all the distractions, God is still good. He's going to take care of me. And regardless of what happened that day at work, what happened that day at the Zoom call, what happened that day in the office, what happened that day, what's going on in the midst of all the parenting moments, God is still good. How does that happen? Awareness of his presence. His presence never leaves. It's just an awareness of his presence. Listen to me, your best parenting and my best parenting will occur when you parent from his presence. This becomes absolutely important then that we immerse ourselves in his presence, that we go wherever Asaph went and we get near to God. What does scripture say? You draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. becomes important then that we get into his presence. And when we parent from his presence, when we, present from his, when we parent from his presence, we will parent with his presence. And when we parent with his presence, his presence flows through us, through us and into our children or into those that we lead or into those who we teach or, or those who we lead in our workplace or work environment. All of a sudden, everyone else gets the benefit of our personal intimacy with God. Remember, towards the beginning of the series, the reason why we're doing this series is because simply this, it's so important that everyone wins when the parent gets better. The community gets better, the city gets better, walks the whole thing, the home gets better, right? The state gets better, the world gets better. You just think about, just imagine with me for a moment, just, just, just go there, dream world scenario. What our world might look like, what your life might look like, what your home might look like, what the city might look like, what the community might look like, what the state might look like, what the nation might look like, if we all just begin to get intimate with the Lord and get in his presence before we did anything else.
And I know what you're thinking, but I can't do that. I got to get up and make breakfast burritos for 14 kids. I don't know what you have, you know. Uh, I've got to get work done. I'm trying to do homework. I'm trying to wrap up projects. You just got homework. It's 8 a.m. We got to go to school. What are you talking about? Why didn't you tell me last night? But that's your reality. Let me tell you, the enemy wants to do everything in his power in your life and in my life to ensure that you do not get into the sanctuary, that you do not get into that place, that sacred place. Because he knows when you get into the sacred place, God's spirit will flow through you and overflow into those all around you on that day. And instead of honking at people, you'll be waving at people. Instead of pushing down the gas pedal at 90 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour speed zone, all of a sudden you're like, hey, let's go 30, everybody. We're good. We're in God's presence. God is in control. And chances are you're going to end up at the place at the same time anyways. You've done this on ways already. You've tested it. You ever try to beat ways? It tells you this is how much time is in your destination? Yes? Come on, guys. I love it. I see the men. Amen. Yeah. And you didn't, you know. One minute. And I drove 90 the whole way to get there. One minute. I did it. I beat you. Wrong. <laughs> it is foolish. How can I, you know, competitive we get with ourselves in ways? And by the way, ways is not a person. It's like, Whatever. His presence changes everything. It's a question. Last question. How do we know when we've been in his presence? What happened to Asaph? How did he know? What did you witness? What did you just see in his own writing? He's completely transformed. He was transformed. There was a change. There was a change. Something shifted. His perspective shifted, his soul, his heart shifted, the way he talked shifted, everything shifted. He was transformed. Can I just invite you today to do something, to practice something in your life? Immerse yourself in God's presence until the point that you reach transformation. So how long does that take? I'm here to tell you really good news. Four hours and seven minutes, 36 seconds. I've done it now. I've narrowed it down. How many of you believe me? I've done it. I've tested it. Four hours, what did I say? Ten, seven. See, I can't even remember. The point is, not long. You know how long it takes? As long as it takes you to get in his presence. Because the moment you get in his presence, everything changes. Did you hear what I said? I said the moment. It doesn't take an hour It doesn't take 19 minutes. It just takes a moment in his presence and everything changes. And you don't leave the presence until you've been transformed. Imagine parenting from this place. Imagine how you would be a husband if you husbanded from that place. If you wifed from that place kind of employee would you be if you employed from that place it's his presence that changes us always has and always will and the reason that is is because we have souls and the only one who feeds the soul is Jesus 
And the only one who will ever satisfy your soul is Jesus. He said one question Jesus asked. I'll invite the band forward. He said this question. He said, what does a man gain if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What have you gained if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? In other words, I'm the only one who feeds the soul. So today, here's what I've done. We are, if you have children, raise your hand if you have children. If you have children right now, you got children, you got kids. Kids ever get in the way of your personal time with the Lord, raise your hand. If kids ever get in the way of your personal time with the Lord, like, you know what, the reason why I can't get the Lord is just kids, you know, they're crazy. Here's the good news. We have your kids. Come on, church, you came today to get in God's presence. You didn't come to hear me preach. The reason we gather as a church is to gather in his presence and celebrate who he is so that we are transformed. So I have good news for you today. We've created a place for you. Your kids are completely safe. You can invite yourself in today into that sanctuary, sacred place so that you leave here transformed. That's good news. So I invited the band forward, and then you can help move the TV if you want to come up. Damn, can you help move the TV? Slide it over there. Get the TV off so they have space. Um, if you'll need to help them out with that, you can. It's fine. You can just get up here. It's okay. He's like, can I pull it? Don't pull it off the stage, and then it falls off the stage. Um, so we created a place that we want to invite you to get in his presence. So I want you to do something. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to little get a little uncomfortable. Oh, man, here we go. We're going to get in God's presence. You know why they don't want to be in God's presence? Because that's where they get transformed. And, and did you notice in ASAP, he said, what was the first step to him getting transformation? A mirror of his heart. He's like, bitterness. Ugh. God will deal with your heart when you enter his presence because that's where the transformation occurs. God wants to deal with your heart. We don't need an emotional moment. I told the leadership team this last night. We need a transformational moment. We are not after emotions here. We're after transformation. Something to change in us. Everything to change in us. Why? Because this is the place from which we want to parent, from which we want to teach, from which we want to educate, from which we want to lead from which we want to be friends. It's this moment where you can be transformed by the presence of God. So I asked the team to sing this song. They're singing this song called Rest On Us. And it's a song just simply inviting the Spirit of God to come and rest on us. Like, make us aware of your presence, you know? Make, help us to sense your presence and to know who you are better, to take me to a place that's a little more intimate with getting to know who you are. So today is simply this, just setting a table for you to enter his presence. We have plenty of time before the Bucks game, so no need to worry. You're, we're fine on time. We're good. All right? No appointments. The pot roast you have on the thing or the guacamole dip will get made. You're fine. I'm just trying to settle the hearts here. The kids are fine. Some are screaming, but they're fine. I'm sure they're fine. Settle it in. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? 
takes us a minute. Humans, it takes us a moment to kind of clutter out just the stuff. Here's why we're going to sing a song. With your eyes closed, just hear me out. Asaph was a worship leader. And I think there's a direct correlation between worship and God's presence. Worship, music, takes us somewhere. This is going to be weird in the spirit of prayer, but I'm going to say it anyways because I think you're going to get the teaching. When you want to get intimate maybe with your spouse, you ever put on a little dum dum Come on. Get a little intimate. All of a sudden, Barry Manilow comes on. You know, I don't know who you Boys to men. Yeah. Music, it takes you somewhere. It brings you somewhere. And for ASAP, he, he gets the music going and it takes him somewhere. It helps him come in tune with his soul. And then God begins to breathe new life and new perspective and new hope and new truth. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to sing. Sing. God rest on us. And let him fill your soul. Let him heal everything that is broken. Confess what needs to be confessed. And let him fill your soul.